High School Slumber Party AP is a Cage Club Podcast Network production. For all things Cage Club and High School Slumber Party, head over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome slumbers who take their studies a little more seriously. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Isla Addington. And this is High School Slumber Party AP, a study session in contemporary teen films. And your assignment today was to watch 2017's Lady Bird. But before we chat all about that, as always, we have some homework to discuss. Yes, absolutely. Is it just me or does 2017 sound like a long time ago, folks? It Um, does. (laughs) So uh, whether, (laughs) well, yes, feels like a long time ago. Um, Homework counts. Please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us or download somewhere new and subscribe multiple places. Who who knows what you're interested in? Um, There's all kinds of options. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Find us and subscribe, please. 2017, and we'll get into it a little bit more in the episode. That's kind of like our AP delineating mark, you know? So Lady Bird was also a very important film for this podcast. So uh, we wanted to do it and get not get it out of the way because it's a momentous film, but get it done before 2017 feels even more long ago. Excellent point. It is quickly quickly fading past us but of course class participation is a huge part of your grade as well so follow high school slumber party on facebook instagram and twitter so brian i think it is your turn to share some homework with us did you do your homework yes i did of course we'll need to travel abroad for that love this segment study abroad as we're recording it's right before st patrick's Day. i decided to take a trip to ireland for the film that i watched it was called here are the young men okay i think your car is broken sir i expected more from you matthew is this who you want to be they say the summer when you finish school is the best time of your life your final summer of freedom when you become a man it's important how important it would be. Boys, we're free. I love you so I think you look great pregnant. Has anyone ever told you you have an extremely punchable face? I saw a girl get knocked over today. She died. But you're fine. Yeah? Joseph Harley! Well, that's the final big blowout of the summer. God is in his 
vibe, should I? What do you think was in the back, my dude? You knew what he was like. I told you. Villains? Of course we are. Body of Christ. Amen. Oh boy, this was an interesting one. Like I said, it's from Ireland. It was in English, but I thought too, because I've been really, really super busy, that I could just have it on in the background. And it's Oh, it's English. I didn't have to read it this time, but... Thick Irish accents here. Oh, so. gotcha. When, when you said it was in English, I thought, sure, because while Gaelic is still taught to some extent in school, it is not spoken cl- like colloquially everywhere. Yeah, no, so for at, sure. So at first I thought, I thought you were comparing it to another Irish movie, and I wondered what Irish movie in Gaelic you'd seen, and (laughs) if if you wanted any of the very small phrases of Gaelic that I still remember from my high school study abroad. Nice. Dublin film today. Uh, So, yes, they were speaking English, but thicker accents than I could, uh, you know, casually listen to in the background. We'll just put it that way. It's available on Prime, and it's directed by Owen Mackin. Now, this movie is a tough watch in a sense that, uh, how can I put it? It deals with a lot of fragile masculinity and there's a lot of violence in the film. Basically, the plot of the film is uh, three young men have just graduated in Irish high school in Dublin. And they're kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. And this isn't a spoiler, it happens early in the movie, but they witness... A death of a young girl who runs into the street and is hit by a car you know an accident and they're all impacted in different ways from this death as they spend that sort of last summer that we've talked about plenty on this podcast absolutely we have the movie ends up going to some very very dark places and it's not definitely not for everybody so i'll I'll warn you there uh, listeners out there the acting performances were very, very good. So uh, if I could applaud anything in the film, it was definitely the acting. And what year was this film from? This was another 2021 film. A lot of drug use, a lot of disturbing scenes, uh, violence against women. I think it was trying to address some very serious stuff. It takes place early 2000s, so it was a bit of a period piece. In terms of the cast... Dean Charles Chapman was the lead, and I think a lot of people will recognize him from Game of Thrones. He was a child actor there. He played Toman Baratheon on that show for three seasons. Um, He's almost unrecognizable in this, and he's really, really good. I was honestly surprised with how good he was, um, just because I hadn't seen him in anything since that show. One of the other young men are played by Finn Cole, and he's somebody who uh, he has been in the show Peaky Blinders, But also, uh, just shout out to our Fast and Furious crew here on the network. He played the young Jacob Toretto in Fast 9, which is... Oh, that's fun! The young John Cena. (laughs) Which was interesting. That's a good one for your resume. (laughs) And he was excellent, but his character... I don't want to spoil too much of the movie, because these are spoiler-free, if you remember our uh, 2021 rewatch, but... 
yeah, his character is very uh, interesting and sinister, and I, not everyone is going to enjoy his character. But uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is in the movie as well. She had a real breakout during the pandemic, if you will. <laughs> um, right, yeah, she had a lot of things come out. A lot of things. Come to fruition in a time where you couldn't... Well, I don't know. I, I guess I was in my own little cave of despair. Um, were they doing press junkets virtually and things like that? Like, I, I was about to say she didn't get to you know, sort of tour around with some of these things. I don't even remember, to be honest with you, they were doing press junkets. I don't even remember how I lived my days out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Queen's Gambit and just a bunch of other stuff. I know she's been Emma, cat. period. Emma, yes. Yes, Emma, period. Um, what else was she in that I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Uh, she had a movie earlier this year, and I know she's going to be in that Mad Max prequel. Furiosa and the Mario film. I'm looking at all this stuff that is certainly a hot name now and for the future. Uh, But she did this in, I guess, 2020, 2021 as well. Um, Not as watched as some of the other stuff due to probably pandemic reasons. And she's amazing in it as well. I can't, the performances were amazing. Not a film for everyone. It appears based on some of these metrics, that it was not a film for everyone. Can you talk a little bit about how it did on our various scales? Yeah, so Rotten Tomatoes, critical score 38%, 42% by the audience, 2.2 in Letterboxd. Not great scores at all. A lot of it complained that it was predictable. I don't know about that uh, so much that it was just like... There was times I was watching the movie and I'm like, why am I watching this? Um Again, a lot of exploration into toxic masculinity. Some of it, it's good, but I don't know if we get the resolution that feels satisfying when it comes to it. Sure. Well, I I would argue that that's because culturally, that is not something that has been resolved, right? It's certainly something that is discussed more and um, documented more and... I think there's a larger awareness of, but I always say we have a long way to go before there is resolution as it relates to toxic masculinity or even just kind of gender more broadly, right? We're in a very transitional period that way. Which makes total sense. And that's why, again, I would not give it these low scores because it did make me think about a lot of things. There are just certain aspects of the film that it's like, oh my God, you know? Um, and not necessarily in a, in a good way or a bad way, just different. So if, the, if you're out there listening, you're interested in exploring that, I've, I've given you my warning. Happy to talk about it on social media or wherever. Happy to watch it again for its performances, but definitely not your, oh, let's chill on a Saturday night and have a good time movie. <laughs> excellent, excellent to know. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that to us. Yeah, and this has been such a fun segment. I have a really long list of films to get to, so pretty much every episode we'll record, I'll hopefully be bringing one of these so uh thank you for for indulging in me (laughs) and uh absolutely thank you for doing your homework i think i might compile these at the end of this year just so they're all in one place if people are curious about the sure uh, 2021 study abroad yes 2021 study abroad and making a, a little episode out of that but uh three down and many more to go and again looking looking forward to watching more films from around the globe awesome all right. Well, let's talk about Ladybird.
So, Aislinn, we're t here talking Lady Bird. Can't wait to talk this one. This is a big one for just the whole high school slumber party oeuvre. And it's found on Netflix, a streaming service that most people have. So, uh, Aislinn, can you read the Netflix description for this film? Absolutely. So, Lady Bird from 2017, which is a little bit at the edge of the AP catalog, if you will. But like you say an important teen film and one that is on Netflix, so why the heck not? So according to Netflix, Lady Bird is about an intrepid high schooler in Sacramento undergoes the trials of love, family, and self-discovery as she dreams of escaping to college on the East Coast. Pretty succinct. Yeah. As Netflix usually is. Um, and yeah, so 2017, I feel like this is maybe the first qualifying AP here. It's a little ambiguous, but um, for me, Lady Bird is kind of a start of a more modern teen film that's really tries to focus on uh, different groups than the usual just white teen male demographic, right? I thought it was a fun place, not to begin the show for us, because obviously we, we didn't begin here, but uh, I think it was a movie we had to cover before twenty. 17 went into the more distant future it does feel like a long <laughs> a long time ago at this point but i, I don't want to miss out on opening the discussion for this film now look it's not the first film to have a young woman as the protagonist obviously even uh john hughes films obviously uh, had them but it just has a very different feel i think a very different vibe and uh yeah i can't wait to talk ladybird so Aizen, what is your history with ladybird i went to ladybird in the theater by myself it was a weekend and i woke up and thought feels like a good day to go to the movies and uh, it was something that i had watched the trailer for and so uh, i was excited to see it in the theater and then i did and i went by myself which is like one of the strange delights of adulthood. <laughs> uh, I think it was like an 11.20 a.m. show nice. or something. It was me and then a couple other small clusters of old ladies. So I was in good company that way. And then shortly after that, uh, we covered it on um, The Contenders. And it's one of our first episodes on The Contenders. So in terms of my kind of history with the film and with podcasting they are intertwined in my memory yeah i was gonna say i'm like wow i knew you covered on the contenders and then i'm like doing the timeline in my head i'm like whoa that must have been a while ago it was early on how about you um, when did you first see ladybird hmm when did i first see ladybird it wasn't in the theater but it must have been early and it's was it streaming was it dvd i don't even remember but it was just yeah when it was first time it was not in theaters first time it was released to home video if you will um because i heard so much buzz around it and i for whatever reason just didn't get to see it did you like it initially yes i did and i should have said in the initial uh narrative about it we did it on contenders not only because it's a female protagonist but it was written and directed by greta gerwig um, and so it fit for the contenders that way. And I had seen, I would say, most of Greta's work prior and generally enjoyed it. Although, you know, you mentioned kind of the typical demographics of, of high school movies. I will say, you know, the, the mumble core of it all is, is pretty white, generally. 
I don't say that as a critique um, necessarily, but but also, you know, I'm interested in a diversity of stories, of narratives, of, you know, the more the more variety of stories we tell, I think the kind of better we will all be because we start to understand kind of people in the world. I don't know. Now I'm just talking. Um, I did initially like it. I love aspects of this movie, I will say. I think this is a fantastic movie. And it's not one that I pick up and watch just kind of for fun. You know what I mean? When I was watching it again for this, I was like, oh, I really did enjoy this. But it's not one that I would just casually watch. Yeah, um, I noticed that. And that's why I was excited to talk about it. Because I had not watched it since that initial watch, which I really enjoyed. Um, But I I think that's a testament to kind of how different it was at the time. And how maybe it's not so different now, if that makes sense, right? Like, sometimes we get these groundbreaking stuff and we put in the context of what other films were coming out at the time, especially teen films. You can kind of get that sense. But now, in my... This is not to downplay the film at all. But in the 2021 rewatch or the 2020 rewatch, I feel like I watched seven or eight of these, (laughs) you know? Sure. And and that's why the film to me is so important. But I think if you just kind of like jumbled it up in like a some kind of crazy teen movie roulette wheel or this podcast, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, and someone who wasn't exposed to these films just watched this one. They might not understand why it was groundbreaking. Again, this is a film of context more than it is just a film of uh, something you pop in today and still enjoy, like you said. Because, yeah. well, people talk about Lady Bird with a certain reverence, right? But I don't know almost anyone who says, oh, this is one of my favorite movies. This is my comfort mm-hmm. movie right here. Sure. But I remember the early conversations, like press-wise, in that for a long time, or at least in the beginning, it had like a perfect Rotten Tomatoes score, didn't it? Yeah. And yeah. that was part of, like, so I think the discussion By the was, critics, by the critics, to be clear. By the critics. Everyone agreed this was an excellent film. And then it's sort of with how much you liked it or how much it resonated with you or kind of some of the other metrics, I think, weren't as black or white as that. But, but it seemed like critics agreed this is a fantastic film. For sure. And uh, again, I'm glad you bring up the writer-director here, Greta Gerwig, as the queen of mumblecore. Some of that earlier mumblecore stuff is really tough to watch if you watch it today. Um, Greta Gerwig's also kind of... I mean, at least when I was... I say growing up, but, you know, I don't I don't mean growing up as a kid. I mean, like... Uh, getting through your 20s? Yeah, getting through my 20s. It was certainly something you'd be at a party... And film people would be like, oh, did you see, you know, Frances Hogg? I think right. Gerwig's amazing and, and stuff like that. Definitely kind of like a, a hipster conversation piece, you know, if you will. Yes. Um, yes. So the fact that this is her debut, it, it was a big deal. This movie was definitely a, a big deal. And I remember at the time, a lot of people were calling it like autobiographical. Like, mm. oh, this is Greta Gerwig's life. But like, she never claimed that. She said that, like, yeah, she's from Sacramento, but she actually, like, said that she was the opposite of the Lady Bird character. Sure. You know, she did end up going to college 
uh, in the East Coast, but it wasn't what, like, am I going to get in kind of thing. By right. the way, some classic uh, senior year, what are you doing sort of things here in the movie. Very true. Although at least, I will give them at least it was, they followed the school year a little bit. And in her case, because of being waitlisted, I get that she wouldn't know until the summer necessarily. So starting at the very beginning of senior year, like, yeah, that's when you would apply. And like the college trip, right? It starts with her college tour trip was before her senior year. So I I think it does better than most in that regard. It does. It does. And and college-wise, it does. The other thing that it does well is that like, yes, she talks about applying to Yale and stuff, but they talk about the state schools. They talk about uh, city schools, and that's cool. Where I was like wait a minute, is that she's running for um, some kind of student office again? Oh, at the beginning of the year? At the, and I get, and I, and I was like, okay, I guess she's like a senior class official, but they made it seem like it was a whole school thing, and it's like, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, I did not catch that particular minutia. Oh, I, I, I love the minutia, especially in teen films. So there were some stuff that way, but it wasn't bad. I just wanted to bring it up because it was so insignificant that I knew it wouldn't come up any time later in the podcast. Um, so Greta Gerwig worked re- really hard on this. Um, of, of course, she uh, she's in a lot of like Noah Baumbach films, and she actually showed him this screenplay. The original screenplay was 350 pages long. Wow. Which is funny when you think about the movie because it's... It's, um, it's a tight 90. It, it's a tight 90 minutes, and it's not like a lot is happening in a sense like she must have written an entire school year you know which is (laughs) interesting i I would like to read it so she showed to nota baumbach freaking collaborator and current husband he wanted to direct it she refused she was really insistent on this being her project and away we were she was able to get the funding and 10 million dollars but it ended up grossing 79 million which is not you know not marvel movie but that's pretty good that's yeah that's outstanding i think and she had remind can you remind me because i don't remember exactly for those previous ones where she had starred in them had she directed those as well or this was her first time directing this was her directorial debut okay so she had written and starred in some or co-written and starred in some she'd co-written co-starred uh technically she co-directed a film nights and weekends Yes, thank you. I couldn't, I knew there, yeah, I couldn't think of that. So I guess her solo debut. Yeah. Oh, so pretty big hit. Definitely a hit among the critics. As you said, I'd done 100% for a while on Rotten Tomatoes. We'll check that score a bit later, of course. Nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. Uh, five, to be specific. Uh, best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Original Screenplay. Didn't win any, but still... Pretty cool to be nominated, as always. Absolutely. A couple other things that I wanted to mention that I just dug up in, in doing the research on the film. She was very involved in the casting process, like a lot of directors, but during the casting process and even after the actors were casted, she shared her high school yearbook with people, photos, um, journals from, from high school, things she liked to read. She would have the cast read. She really wanted them to get into the mindset there. And, and she saw this as kind of the female, uh, in her words, the female counterpart to tales like 400 Blows and Boyhood. Um, she really wanted to tell not necessarily her story, but uh, a pr- perspective that would have come from someone possibly like her. 
I had forgotten that this was a period piece, technically. No, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> it takes place in uh, 2002, 2003, uh, that school year. Um, yeah, I was in high school during that time. Yeah. So it was my high school experience as well. Well, not this, but you know what I mean. But like I said, totally forgot about that. The other thing I wanted to mention really quickly, uh, she directed the the prom scenes in a prom dress, in her exact prom dress. So I think fun. That, yeah, that seems fun. That seems like a really fun thing to do. Otherwise, yeah, let's talk about this cast. Let's start with uh, Saoirse Ronan, our lead here, as Lady Bird, Christine Lady Bird McPherson. I remember seeing her a couple years before this in a film called Brooklyn when it debuted, in, at least in New York here. She's an actor I really, I really like. Uh, what do you think about her and our, her performance here as the title character? I mean, I think absolutely outstanding. I completely believe that she is a teenager and that she is this teenager. I think there's an authenticity to it. In again, thinking about details in you know her hair, her kind of chipping fingernail polish. And I don't mean this as a criticism of the character, but like the way that she manipulates situations. And I don't know, I just, it was all very, very much a young person trying, you know, sort of desperately to grow up, but not really knowing what that means, which is what it is at that age. I feel like that, you know, people are telling you that you're almost an adult or that you should be or various things, but also trying to figure out what all that means and and she does such a great job i think she and and laurie metcalf which i'm sure you're about to <laughs> name their dynamic it just is amazing and i i think i talked about this on the contenders a little bit but particularly like the the scenes when they're shopping and this like rubber band of they're so far apart and then they're close and and one of them says the wrong thing and I think it they did such a great job of demonstrating how those relationships we are truly built to like be able to push each other's buttons. Yeah, yeah. They they're so great um as mother and daughter there. Uh what's your history with Lori Bedcalf? I mean, what a legend, of course, but uh oh, what's, what's your personal history with her? I would say I probably knew her first as the aunt on Roseanne. Although I did not watch a lot of Roseanne, my mom was not a fan. And so it just wasn't on. But through being in the world, it was, you know, this giant show. And then I can't, I'm not sure what the first film I would have seen her in, but I'll IMDb it while while you talk about her. But she has definitely stuck out to me as ridiculously talented in a number of performances. And then I've heard her talk about some performances and I get even more impressed. Well, I only ask because... I think that there is a segment, and I wasn't accusing you of this FYI, but I think there was, there's a segment of people who kind of just know her as the Roseanne lady, right? Like, right. Or even just people who know her for her film work. I mean, I haven't seen her perform on Broadway. I just know that she, you know, is multiple time Tony winner and such a reputation on stage as well as screen that it just always impresses me when I happen to stumble on her Wikipedia page or her IMDb. She's really done it all and done it all at like a high performance level that I'm just, again, incredibly impressed. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. 
there is one particular performance that I was thinking of that I then found. So there is a short three season, and and in that I mean like 10 episodes per season, a show called Playing House that I love desperately that was created by Jessica St. Clair and uh, Lennon Parham. And it's about two female best friends. And in one season, they need doctors for various reasons. And she just in one episode plays this surgeon. And in those two scenes, I mean, one, again, believe that she's a doctor, believe that she knows all the things she knows. But also she is so, she's just so good. Like she jumps out of the screen. I can't, I'm not describing it very well, but I think that will be my favorite of her because I love, I love her. I love that show. And the ability to be in one scene of one episode and to be something that I remember is like, that's, it's a weird little anecdote, but to me, that's, it's like a testament to how, what a craftsperson she is. And, and this is the same thing, right? At different times, you feel so empathetic to the mother. I think at other times, it's like, ah, give her a break. You know, I mean, it, it, she just plays like the mother role, which could be flat so dynamically. For sure. I mean, like I said, I, I can't bestow any more accolades. As, the world has done that for me already. But I think she's so great. And I think she's great in this role as well. Uh, Tracy Letts plays the dad. This guy's really interesting. Are, are you familiar with, with his work? The name is super familiar, but the face isn't. Tell me what I'm missing. Perfect answer, because he's actually, I think, more known for his playwriting. Um, he's won a Pulitzer. He wrote uh, August Osage County. Oh, okay. He acts, too. Like, he's been in a ton of stuff. Um, I think he's even been nominated himself as an actor as well. But um, he's definitely a name, like, if you're familiar with theater, that you just see a lot on playbills and things. Another multi-talented person. Again, I didn't recognize his face, and I even, like, there was part of me watching this today who was like, oh, it's not a single mom. Like, I don't know why. Not to to diminish his performance, but for whatever reason, like, part of my brain remembered it, I guess because the mother-daughter relationship is so powerful in the movie that I completely forgot about this dad character. He's actually pretty important. And pretty pivotal to the story as well. I, I, I don't know why I forgot it. So apologies, Tracy Letts, but I'm sure <laughs> your, your Pulitzer is keeping you warm anyway. So Absolutely. Uh, you don't care what I think. <laughs> and then again, just like the the list goes on here uh, with people that I want to bring up. How about a kind of early Timothy Chalamet? I mean, this is after Call Me By Your Name or what's it called? Yeah. What's called? Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. This was my first Timothy. Oh, nice. Nice. Or whatever. I mean, <laughs> I don't necessarily mean he's a nice character, but you know what I mean. No, but he is so that guy in high school. <laughs> I think you will agree with me. He's also one, like that character I could pick up out of this and put in my favorite of all time, Perks of Being a Wallflower. I think a different period, but... Um, were they existing in the same world? I think he could have been, that character could have been at some of those get-togethers and Rocky Horror um, performances and things like that. He just seemed like that sort of pretentious, too cool for whatever, but also just kind of random mediocre guy. And that is something that 
that does infuriate me <laughs> is that <laughs> it just sometimes, and especially I think like in high school, God, the bar is so low. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, he plays a a fantastic, stupid boyfriend in in quotes. You know, like it's funny you mentioned uh, the perks of being a wallflower thing because I've heard a lot of like people in conversation, and I legitimately mean people in conversation, like at a party when those mm-hmm. were a thing or, or just, you know, t- talking with friends or even my mom or something like there's like kind of this consensus that like Timothy Chalamet replaced Ezra Miller a little bit. And that sounds mean, but like, Oh, there was a niche for these kind of skinny, yeah. mysterious sort of peoples that uh, Timothy Chalamet definitely is cornering the market on now. Uh, <laughs> yes. It just made me think of that when you brought up delicate the features. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and how about a uh, Beanie Feldstein in here uh, as Julie or Jules, the uh, the the Julie. best friend character pre Booksmart pre everything. Yeah, pre her blowing up. I mean, I can't. Um, again, so many good performances in this movie. I also, it's so perfectly that age and time and. I got more from her character this time watching it, knowing the story already and having seen Booksmart and things like that, that I was sort of watching her her character more closely. And she's got so many lines that are amazingly delivered and heartbreaking. Like if you listen to all the things, all the messages Julie is telling herself, it's heartbreaking. And so my hope is that whether on her adventure over the summer or as she, you know, makes her way through college, that she starts to understand how awesome she is. That's my hope for that character. But a delight to see her. I agree. I did not. um, Oh, this character didn't have as much of an impact on me uh, on the first watch as it did this time. I think she's so good in this role and really was a focal point for me. So I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you. I don't know. I guess the first time I watched it, it was just like, this is the friend she gets rid of. And then she's back. Right. Like, right. Which is sort of tropey, but then to watch them do it with these lines and, and their, again, I've said it too many times, authenticity. I think it just really brought, what is maybe a cliche story to life? A lot of uh, Beanie Feldstein ads here in New York because she's going to be in Funny Girl. Yes. And people seem to be very excited about are that. You, are so. you familiar with Funny Girl? The, yes, I've seen the film, but oh, okay. I've, n- I've never seen like, it. Because it's, it's one of the musicals that we grew up watching regularly in the summer. There was a whole catalog of Hello Dolly, My Fair Lady, Gigi, all these, and Funny Girl was one of them. And so I have seen funny girl many times <laughs> so I, I think it's a great fit i'm excited for her yeah no i 100 percent agree with that uh it seems like a perfect fit a couple other people i just wanted to mention quickly uh, just because of their relation to high school slumber party odea rush plays uh jenna walton who's kind of becomes the friend the rich friend yeah, yeah. the rich friend great best way to put it we've Talked about her a lot here. She was in Let It Snow. She was in Dumplin. She's in a bunch of teen stuff. Like, she definitely had, maybe it will be continuing to have a moment. But in terms of teen films, uh, she was also in uh, the Goosebumps movie, which is technically a high school movie. Oh, okay. So, just wanted to bring her up. And I did not realize that 
Catherine Newton of the Map of Tiny Perfect Things is in this film as well. She oh. play, she plays the friend that uh, uh, Jules yes. ends up like kind of like I don't want to say replacing. You know what I mean? Like she's like the replacement friend though. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, Darlene. Darlene. Yes, great. Oh, that was a great. That was a great moment. <laughs> Julie. Julie. Julie, hey, what do you want from Julie? Darlene, can you excuse us? Darlene, stay. Why aren't you in Algebra 2? I switched sections. Why? Aren't Jenna and Kyle enough? <laughs> I'm sorry that you're jealous. <laughs> Jenna is a moron, you know. She's not. She's in AP Calculus. She's a moron in a deeper sense. You don't even know her. Miss Patty assigned you a role, by the way. You just never showed up to claim it. What role? The Tempest. There is no role of the Tempest! It is the titular role! No, it's a made-up thing, so we all can participate. You can't do anything unless you're the center of attention, can you? Yeah, well, you know your mom's tits, they're fake, totally fake. She made one bad decision at 19! Two bad decisions! Um, anyone else in the cast that really stuck out at you, maybe even if it's just a performance or something? I mean, I think Lucas Hedges yes. only in that, oh, how do I say this? Because of the time period this takes place. And like you mentioned, um, you know, we were, we were also in, in high school around this time. So, you know, some of the music, some of the fashion, some of the things are very familiar. This storyline between Christine and Danny also very familiar to my high school experience. <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting. Yes. This was, I think the first, it was the first time I had seen him because I'd seen him in something else, but here is something that I love that is depicted in this movie, and I don't know how much on purpose or not or what that is, but this, the excitement of the romance, right, is very, you know, she is able to sort of be outside at the end of this dance with Danny, and so then she gets to kiss him, and then, and then she's, like, screaming in the street and stuff. But the ups and downs of these romantic relationships kind of, it takes center stage and yet the thing from the beginning that we come back to at the end is her friendship with Jules because when like the prom stuff falls apart that's where she goes back to um, Beanie and I remember in high school my mom telling me once I've probably said this on the podcast before I apologize that she had read somewhere I don't I don't know it was an article or a book about adult women commonly having a regret of focusing too much on those early relationships rather than like their female friendships and at the time that is not what i wanted to hear from my mother and yet it really made an impact and i thought about it then and in college and in grad school and whatever else so i do love that while that's not what this movie is about it is sort of showing you that that as much as like there is fun and excitement and all all the rest in the romantic parts the big emotions and the best laughter and all that is with the friendship. So I liked that. That was that Lucas Hedges was my way to say that. <laughs> no, I mean, I 100% agree with that too. And that's, that's also something that um, I think the movie does so well. Like there are two romances, if I'm going to use that word, in the movie, but they're not. Again, the central romance, the one we come back to is the friendship, you know, essentially, which is yeah. definitely love seeing that. And yeah, Lucas Hedges has been in a ton of stuff from like uh, Moonrise Kingdom, Manchester by the Sea, 
which I think he was nominated for. Uh, Three Billboards, who's in that movie. Cool seeing him here. Th- this character, I, and, and you know, again, we could talk about whatever, but this character also, in addition to uh, the LGBTQ nature of the character, it was also something I'd seen a lot, uh, you know, growing up Catholic and I didn't go to Catholic. I went to Catholic college, but I didn't go to Catholic school. And then again, Catholic universities are not Catholic yeah. school, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm sure some of them are, but it's not uniformed and nuns and stuff like that. Right. But uh, I grew up in a pre- predominantly Irish and Italian area and seeing Irish families just like this and a lot of stories just like this, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, someone knows what they're doing. Well, Greta, yep. we know she wrote it. Like, you know yep. I mean, Greta, <laughs> Greta knows. And this time period, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if this was a 2021 story, some of that would have been different. And and maybe how they talked about it would have been different. I, I think at that time, at least in my experience, we weren't talking about fluidity in the same way. We weren't talking about the complexity of identities in the same way. So yeah, this this seemed very, very true to life in a lot of ways. The Catholic stuff. Okay, so did you go enough that like your brain has all the responses ready? Oh in yeah. Those scenes? Oh, yeah. That, sure. yeah, that yeah, that was that was mine too. So a quick note on that. I watched this movie a couple days ago and then I rewatched it today while commuting. But uh Netflix has like one point two five speed. So you could watch something a little bit faster. And I just wanted to get it in for like notes reasons. Oh, interesting. I did not know 1.25 was a speed on Amazon or on Netflix. It might only be on it might only be on mobile devices, I'm not sure, but a little little cheat if you That's want to strange. get through something. But I mean I wouldn't suggest a first time watch doing No, that, of course. Like again. But um when they got to that scene, the cadence was just a little bit off. And that was wrecking my brain, you know, just the oh, fact that it was sure. like the response was just like a little bit it faster. It wasn't correct. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm, I'm glad you bring that up. Yeah, though, like a lot of these characters really rang true to life. Lady Bird might be the most uh, caricatured sounds bad, but she might be the most different character than I really have ever encountered of, of the mm-hmm. characters in the film, you know? And I, I thought she was really cool. I liked her rebellious nature. And I also liked that she wasn't... Too many times we get films about these like cool, rebellious teens and they seem like everything they do is right. But mm. when I think back to my teen experience, there's so many times I just want to smack myself with the things I thought and the things I said. And I don't want to yeah. get violent, but you know what I mean? Like It just, it just irritates me. And I, again, I liked seeing how she wasn't always perfect with everything oh my gosh no she is selfish and she is sometimes thoughtless and pretentious and various things no i i was as irritated with this character as i was of the people i was in high school with that reminded me of her <laughs> they would be the people who would you know potentially say you know come up before school started and be chatty as if they were interested in in your life and then say did you do the math homework you know, because really what they wanted was my homework, um, at which point I was, <laughs> I was more of the attitude of like, what can I help you with? Like, I understand we're not actually friends. What is it that you would like? <laughs> oh, that? Okay, great. You want math homework? Have math homework. I'm going to go focus my attention elsewhere now. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, such a great, a great character. And the last character I'll mention really is the, I feel like the city of Sacramento is a character. <laughs> 
it's so funny because I was just talking with this is I would never think I would be talking about this on the podcast, but I was just talking with my cousin about some basketball stuff, and a player got traded from Sacramento to Indiana. And he was like, oh, I'm sure he'd rather be in Sacramento than Indiana. And I was like, why? Uh, again, these are his words. Indiana people are Sacramento people. And I was <laughs> like, why? He's like, well, because Sacramento's in California. It's by the beach. And it's, it, you know, California's really fun. And I'm like, that's not Sacramento. Look it up. Sacramento. <laughs> and I'm watching this. And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I love it. And anyone I've met from Sacramento has kind of like similar vibes. Not that they necessarily like hate it or anything like that, but it's like, when she says, like, the Midwest of California, I think that's, like, a really cool way to, to describe it. Yeah. You know, it's a largely suburban place as well. And it's, it's super cool how I, a lot of times I felt like I was in Sacramento and talking about, like, these different neighborhoods and, and just the way it looked. Um, Greta Gerwig is from Sacramento. And then just to flash forward to the ending where it kind of stealthily becomes a love letter to Sacramento, which I didn't expect because, again, most of the time she's sort of shitting on it so uh yeah i just wanted to bring that up in in case we didn't talk about that too because (laughs) love when i get a sense of place yes definitely has has that sense of place and and you're right the way sort of at the end that they replace some um you know scenic views in a new way and then by that time it has become nostalgic to christine but also the audience is very clever clever greta very clever (laughs) thank you greta what are some of the iconic moments or less iconic moments that, you know, really sparked you this time at Lady Bird? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've sort of dropped some of that already <laughs> because I was too excited when talking about the characters. But kind of this um, a year in the life, a pivotal year in the life story that includes some romantic highs and lows, but starts and ends, you know, with her best friend, which I love. I think certainly um, Beanie, the, the best friend, Julie. And those, um, the dynamics uh, between Lady Bird and her mom were what really stood out this time for me. Oh, yeah. There's so much more heightened to me this time for whatever reason. A couple things in my notes, for example, that like, again, these are not things, if I picked up on them a couple years ago, I just didn't remember them this time. One of them is something I liked. It's clear that at least her older brother Miguel is adopted maybe later Ladybird is adopted as well we don't know really but I love well, oh yes we do in that the letters at the end if you read one of the letters that her mom wrote her starts with it was a miracle that she got pregnant so I could be piecing this together wrong but but her dad was working in Brazil and I thought that's how Miguel joined their family and then when they came back to Sacramento, or I don't know at what point she got pregnant with Lady Bird, but like. Okay, okay. So if, if theoretically, yeah, I maybe I missed that in the letters. I mean. It, that, it was quick, but I but I definitely read it this good, time. Of- good AP insight there. <laughs> I mean, all I was going to compliment in the movie, like, yeah. that it, this wasn't an adoption story. You know right. what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, Miguel, you're so different. I mean, it's like occasionally mentioned here or there sometimes, but anything you would mention with a brother, you know. Right. And I thought that was like super cool. I hate when like there's just an aspect of a family and you have they have to talk about it, you know what I mean? It's not like it's unspoken either. It's just like right. th- it wasn't the focal point of the film. So I I thought that was pretty cool. Um I want to circle back to the Catholic school thing. I enjoyed that like 
yes, they go to Catholic school, but it's, and there are nuns who are teachers and priests who are teachers, but it's like not, they don't lean on a lot of the tropes you see in other films about Catholic Mm -hmm. schools. And look, sometimes that's fun. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, But here, like the one sister was really helpful to Lady Bird and really got her, which I thought was very fun and supportive, right? It wasn't, again, the trope of mean nuns or... Right. Or creepy priests all the time, you know what I mean? Like, like I, again, I'm glad that they showed that, like, not everyone is like that. And there are actually, even on the teacher trope, right, there are actually very supportive teachers out there, a lot of them. What do you think of her foray into the drama department in this film? Like, uh, when she auditions for that play and she's mm-hmm. got that outfit and eventually, you know, I, I guess classes with... Uh, First, that one teacher who ends up getting sick, uh, mm-hmm. the, the one priest, and then eventually there's like that football coach. The coach. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think that was sort of one of the broader kind of moments in it that <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, I chuckled at, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't. That did feel more traditional teen film than the yeah. intimate story that we were getting. I exactly. Mean, yeah. It, it didn't ruin the movie for me, but. <laughs> For the theater part, I felt like what we are told about and and kind of understand about Lady Bird is that she so wants to be special and cool and different, right? Like she has renamed herself as one of the first things we know about her. She ejects herself out of the car with her mother driving down (laughs) the highway. An immaculate heart is already a luxury. Immaculate fart? You wanted that, not me. Miguel saw someone knifed in front of him at sack high. Is that what you want? So you're telling me that you want to see somebody knifed he right in front of you? He barely right saw that. I want to go where culture is, okay, like New York, or at snob. least Connecticut or New Hampshire, well, where writers live in the woods. Get into those schools anyway. Mom, you can't even pass your driver's test. Because you wouldn't let me practice The way that you work, or the the way that you don't work, you're not even worth state tuition, Christine. My name is Lady Bird. Uh, Well, actually, it's not, and it's ridiculous. Call me Lady Bird like you said you would. You should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College, and then to jail, and then back to City College, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. (laughs) Like, which is something I think, you know, maybe teens might threaten or say that they want to do like I'm, I'm I was so upset I wanted to jump out of the car or whatever but like she does like she wants to be a spectacle and so in some ways and so the theater was like another way to do that and then she was chorus so it wasn't as interesting which then you know Julie points out it went in their confrontation is like if you're not the center of attention you're not interested which is kind of true so Really, it kind of turns out the theater is more of a vehicle to to get that first romance. And I get it, too, right? Like, they go to school with, with just women, and she's, you know, interested in having romantic adventures with men. And so I think that's even in the conversation with the nun of, like, yes, it's a joint project with the, you know, the, the brother school, sister school thing. And that piques her interest. And then instead of being good at theater, she's sort of gets that first romance from the theater but then like doesn't need it anymore because it I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say but like I think it's a, it makes sense to me that she would want to try that because of this need for attention and to be special yeah and on this watch I noticed more how like subtly jealous slash dismissive she is of uh her friend 
um, when she kind of gets the bigger parts and and stuff like that. Because and you see this in a lot of friendships where you take or the, a person will take their other friend for granted, as almost especially as a teenager, right? Like that they're almost kind of maybe an accessory is too harsh of a word, but like sure for certainly for someone like Lady Bird who wants to be the center of attention, right. she isn't really respecting what her friends you know interests are really so when so when uh she does find that success i just like the subtlety of change in their relationship i, th- I thought mm-hmm. it was fun and it wasn't like oh my god you got that part like i said it was subtle it also reminded me of my own senior year when i uh was convinced to join the improv team in my high school i had never done a second of theater or acting in my life um, and I, I got so much joy out of it. It was so fun. It's still one of the greatest experiences of my life. But that moment when she's like, how did I not know this program existed here? Right. <laughs> High school and largely almost everything. And every time I've entered something in life Mm -hmm. i feel like i failed to take advantage of it like high school college other things i feel take advantage of it till the very last minute (laughs) so i got a little personal chuckle out of that (laughs) um did we touch enough on the romance uh, her first romance um we i know we didn't get really into the nitty-gritty of it yeah i mean so i think for this movie in particular because it was so kind of iconic just a few years ago I wasn't sure like how much of of the story we we wanted to get yeah, into. Yeah I mean we don't we're, we don't have to go scene by scene. The other thing about that first romance with Danny from the large Catholic family was that it turns out his grandmother has lived in the house that Lady Bird and Julie would walk past as like their dream house and so in addition to the kind of special thing about having a boyfriend and like dating the guy from the play was also that she got to kind of walk in this world that was so aspirational for her in particular. It was a clever way to kind of get that for like help us understand that about her Um, and the whole kind of wrong side of the tracks joke that turns out is really a shitty thing to say or, you know, around your parents who or might be, you know, proud of what they're able to provide. That joke and um, the rich friend not understanding why she wouldn't tell her where her house is mm-hmm. were really, again, I think well-written moments in the film because Danny is actually like a super nice guy. I know, I know he's sort of misleading her, so I don't mean in that way, but like, He's also discovering himself. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, yeah. I, he's a teenager. I'm not going to really put a lot of that on him. He's a he's a super nice guy, and w- you know when he comes to her and he's like, uh, eventually, I was really happy to see the moment where he, he she he came to her and is like, I'm really sorry, and I, I just don't know how to tell my family and things like yeah. that. And and she also she supports him and they you know sort of become friends after that like that's cool but point is like he's a super nice guy and he still made that joke because i don't think he really understood yeah he didn't yeah because in his world like you're saying like um jenna the other um person in that fancy neighborhood because they are you know young people it's not real to them in the same way that it is to kind of the parents and the grandparents right because they don't 
they don't understand, you know, inherited wealth and things like that. And so like, yeah, why, why would you lie or, um, ha ha wrong side of the tracks, uh, because their experience is so, you know, limited thus far because they are young people. Exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't always come from a bad place. I, again, I don't think Jenna, like in, in other movies, the rich girl, but ugh, you drink from this glass or you do this or you do that. I mean, yeah, it's that sort of invisible privilege thing of like, well, wh- why would you lie? Like, well, of course, Jenna has never had to think about what will people think when they see my house or, you know, I mean, she doesn't have the same aspiration that Lady Bird does. I love that because I ne- almost never see it in teen movies. Mm. There's just so many teen movies that do the opposite of, oh, your mom's a nurse, you're poor. You mm. know what I mean? Like the plastics in Mean Girls. And I love Mean Girls, but sure, the subtleties of it were just, mm-hmm. again, what elevated the screenplay for me. The second romance with uh, Chalamet here. Kyle. Kyle, yes. Uh, <laughs> gross. On this watch, by the way, he definitely said that he never had sex with anyone else. I, I, yeah, I was watching in the in the subtitles because it was hard because she says, yes, he does. And and she says a couple things like back to back. And mm. so I think, yeah, he, he sort of gets away with that in a shitty way. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Again, we all know this guy, as we said. We all know people like this. Um, <laughs> any Anything else you want to add for him or you think? We, I had uh, completely forgotten his dad had cancer oh that's right yeah before i had watched it yesterday if i was you know describing everybody i wouldn't have included that and so the moment when she's leaving his house and she's you know kind of he's upset and disappointed and and things and she stops and looks and and i interpreted as he was had fallen asleep i didn't interpret it as he had died or anything but you know he's there you see the oxygen tank and stuff that hit harder because I hadn't, I didn't recall that. And then leads to that next moment with her mother that turns out to be so, so nice and so sweet. Like that's the thing with the the mother daughter stuff is you kind of don't know when they're ramping up or when they're ramping down because Mm -hmm. there's a volatility to it. And so, you know, I didn't know like, Oh, is, is she going to say something to the mom? The mom's going to be, then the mom's going to be upset or, you don't understand me or she's going to yell or whatever, but, but then that she's upset and her mom's there. And so she just goes in for comfort. I, I just thought that whole exit scene was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. The other just, I guess, scene with him that I want to bring up was one of my favorite scenes of the movie when they're going to prom, just the whole prom experience, I think is really good in this movie. Uh, uh, picking out the dress or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, her mother really putting in like work on that dress and uh, just uh, just felt like a special moment. And for then the, uh, you know, Timothy Chalamet's character, oh, Kyle, sorry, Kyle and the friends or whatever, the phony friends. Yeah. Just like want to blow off prom and like just be whatever. Like, I love how at first she's like, yeah, cool, whatever. We can right. blow yeah, off prom. Yeah, she's going to go on off with them because these are my new cool friends and that's what cool people do. Yeah, and then she has that moment of clarity where it's like, no, that's not what I want to do. You know, I lo- I think it's like a Dave Matthews song or whatever. And she, she's yes, like, crash. Like, <laughs> yes, like, you're right. They're like, oh, this song's the worst. And she's like, actually, I like this song and I want to go to prom. Bring right. me to my friend's house. 
beautiful moment. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's for, I don't know if it's the first time, but kind of I'll say the first time I noticed her doing that pivot from, I want to be cooler. I want to be special to, I want to be me. And she, yes, wants the prime experience and, and wants reconciliation with Julie and this and that. And then that also happens that we see one night of when she goes to college in New York, mm-hmm. which I'm interested in your thoughts on the end of the movie. Um, I won't say mine right this second, but in this exchange with this random college guy, she says, Christine, instead of, so the whole movie, she's been telling people to call her Lady Bird. She's been writing it on top of her name, all this stuff, right? Because I think in Sacramento, she wants to be special. She wants to be interesting. She wants to be different. But then by the end of the movie, she wants, you know, she wants to be herself. And that's another kind of manifestation of that. Or I'm full of shit. Who knows? No, no. I think it. I think it's exactly that. And that's why. I mean, we may differ on the end of the movie, but I think the first time I saw this, I I didn't like the ending. And this time, I think I liked it a little bit more because it just it reminded me again of myself in college or so many people I saw in college and who use college as this opportunity to um, sort of reinvent themselves. And reinventing yourself doesn't, like you're saying, doesn't necessarily mean oh, I was this person and now I'm this character, you know? Right. Sometimes it means I'm going to reinvent myself to fit in with the rest of these people. And it could be shitty and it could be scary sometimes. And the ho- the hospital thing was kind of, you know, weird when she asked like, yeah. what day it is. That I, that I really didn't understand. But her instinct to then go to church to me was not necessarily, oh, I'm religious now. No. Um, which, again, I don't think anyone took it that way, but it's like, it's just like, like that comfort of home. It was just something Something familiar. Yeah, and uh, I think we've all been homesick at some point in our lives, and, you know, that's what it really just reminded me of, and, and just wanting to share that with her, her dad, or even she says, uh, more, this is, is more for mom. mom. Yeah. yeah. Hi, you've reached the McPherson family. Please leave a message. Thank you. Hi, Mom and Dad. It's me, Christine. It's the name you gave me. It's a good one. Dad, this is more for Mom. Hey, Mom. Did you feel emotional the first time that you drove in Sacramento? I did, and I wanted to tell you, but we weren't really talking when it happened. All those bends I've known my whole life, and stores, and the whole thing. That felt special to me, and that felt like it, she wasn't necessarily like giving up on her journey. She wasn't going home or anything, no. but it just reminded me that 
especially when you're young. But I think in general, we are all unfinished products. And I'm sure if you listen to early high school slumber party episodes, my opinions were very different on certain things. <laughs> That's on a much lesser scale. But yeah. I would probably listen to some early episodes and hate myself for saying certain th- certain things here or there or whatever. And I think this was kind of a microcosm of that. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, if you want to ask about the ending, what what really happened that got her in, in the hospital? She just alcohol poisoning. Just it was just alcohol poisoning. Okay. The way I interpreted it was that she's in the dorm and she's you know drank enough to to be sick and we see her experiment a little bit with alcohol and drugs but not much right in the year we see her prior to this. So I think it was just she drank too much. She got really sick and she was in the dorm. So I think probably the RA like had to call emergency services. So she's just turned 18. If the 19-year-old who is the RA and like in charge, if she's that sick, then they probably have to call someone. So if she were like at a house party, I don't know that she would have gone to the ER. Mm. Does that make okay. sense? I mean, you know more of the uh, campus logistics than I, I, I do. I thought it was more a, a thing of her being on campus. But yeah, I think f- for me, from the airport I mean, the airport is an important moment, right? Because the mom is not going to go in and then decides to go in and and misses her, like literally misses her. And so it's just the parents hug. From there, like the rest of it, the first time I saw it, I didn't understand. It felt like an epilogue to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like I was the story in Sacramento and then this 20 minutes elsewhere. And I felt like the 20 minutes elsewhere didn't earn the beautiful phone call ending really with the mom. So I was kind of going in anticipating that. I don't know. It bothered me less this time. But I was just curious on this watch what you thought about that final chapter or chapters. Yeah, like from a film perspective, I definitely don't think it's necessary. Uh, like Again, I liked it more this time. But I, I was with you. It felt like kind of a, this sounds dismissive, but sort of like just a mumblecore-esque hipster indie sort yeah. of ending, you know. I felt like she could have just a night in the dorm in New York that just even hearing people down the hall, hearing the traffic and sirens and stuff outside. To me, that would be enough going from like suburban place you've always lived to a dorm in the city. That would be enough to necessitate that phone call to the mom. I didn't understand why we had to go and get drunk with this guy and go to the hospital and all that. Like, I just thought... Tighten it up, but... Yeah, again, I was less bothered by it this time, but it definitely feels extra. But at least it doesn't, like, betray the spirit of the movie. It doesn't feel like it's suddenly she just... Something else happens, you know? Right. I remember even at the time, a lot of people talking about this ending and, like, Mm. what do you think it means? Or something like that. Uh, But I think that's more just people trying to have interesting film conversation at parties, at least in my <laughs> life. Something I, I didn't mention that was in my notes, I love that she bought a a pack of camels, a scratch-off <laughs> ticket, and a playgirl when she turned 18. <laughs> and the guy was so unimpressed. I mean, again, right? She's doing this thing. She thinks she's clever. The morning I turn 18, I'm going to go do these things. And one, the guy at the convenience store doesn't give a shit what she's buying. But also, probably not the first person to have done that. You know what I mean? Like, I get that energy of, I'm going to do this when I turn 18. Similarly, I got a tattoo when I turned 18. Nice. Right? Because I thought, what an innovative thing to do. And I <laughs> promise you that no one in that tattoo shop 
cared at all. <laughs> I mean, they cared I was 18 because you had to be. But beyond that, it was like, okay, next. Like, you are not special. You're just another person. <laughs> but I do love that she stood against the convenience store smoking the cigarette looking through the Playgirl. That cracked me up. <laughs> it was a great image, too. Um, anything else in Ladybird that you wanted to talk about? Mm-hmm. Again, you know, I think the cast was so outstanding that I sort of tipped my hand and, and talked a lot at the beginning. So if there's nothing else to chat about, let's just get to our awards, if that's okay. That sounds great. First question we ask every time we do an episode is, who was this movie made for? Who do you think the intended audience was? I absolutely think some was for the Mumblecore audience who would find some nostalgia here. And I kind of do think it's for everyone, meaning like teens and adults. I don't think it's a movie for children, but in terms of someone in or near that time of their life would probably enjoy it. And then I enjoy it because of kind of the looking back aspects. And then specifically because it is looking back on an era where I was a young person at that time but i but i i think current young folk would enjoy it as well what do you think yeah i agree with you and i think specifically uh probably young women especially again when it was made not as many stories mm-hmm. that centered around young women directed by women specifically so absolutely uh yeah that's just the only caveat i would add there is this based on ya no it's a no original greta gerwig original did we have a dead teen or dead parent? Um, almost, I suppose, with Cancer Dad. Not to trivialize cancer that way, but that's, that's what came yes. up in my head. But, <laughs> but not in, like, the main... And I'm actually, well, a little bit surprised. There is that one that we didn't talk about, the scene where they have a, a guest speaker. It looks... I don't know if it's actually at gym class or they just happen to be oh, in the gym. Yeah. But this woman giving a anti-choice speech, which makes sense in a Catholic school. And the, the sort of shock is that the story she told about a woman who contemplated getting an abortion was her mother. And, and you know, various audience members gasp and, and Lady Bird rolls her eyes. <laughs> so in that sense, there was discussion <laughs> from that speaker's perspective. <laughs> yes, yes. But I also would not characterize that as, you know, that, no. that's not a dead teen or a dead parent, but there was discussion of that. Beyond that, though, I guess I'm a little surprised that there wasn't more thinking about the kinds of things her mother would say and the atmosphere of the school. I was a little surprised that there wasn't like a, you don't want to end up like this person. You know what I mean? Um, it's sort of instead it was more of the class stuff, like you know, take care of your things because if you look like trash, people will think you're trash kind of thing. I could see that being, you know, don't drink or you'll end up like blah, 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 who, you know, died in a drunk driving accident or whatever. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. I expected a caution tale and there wasn't one. And you're right. It does deal more with the class cautionary tales. We also didn't really talk about like the father losing his job, going to job interviews that his own son is going to as well ends up landing the job i know uh 2002 was a rough time in the economy post 9 11 and this was you know a reality that was there the mom has a line where she's like 
Like, don't embarrass yourself because some one of these people might need to hire your father and we don't yeah. want like a trashy family. Yes. Which is, you know, both sort of understandable for her, like from her perspective, as we know this character, but then also that's also kind of a stretch. A little bit of like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Another just reason to love the mom character is that like, she's also not always right. No, definitely yeah. not. It's not one of those moms, you know. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of... Uh... Uh, class stuff in this movie i'll save i'll save something for another award so never mind i will stop myself in my tracks so let's start with our awards uh most likely to succeed which character won the movie i'm going to zag on you here and i'm going to pick miguel nice we hear more about miguel than we hear from him but he and his girlfriend shelly went to berkeley it's discussed a couple of times and for most of the movie, bagging groceries at the grocery store and sleeping on the pullout couch at Lady Bird's parents' house. Um, so this sort of kind of haven't quite left the nest or have bounced back after college, but college was not sort of the platform that it was expected to be, it seems like. But then we see that he sort of, you know, is able to get a job in whatever sort of, I don't know, is it corporate? Is it financial, I'm not sure, some like businessy, businessy job. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that everyone should get a businessy, businessy job, but there was something about it because Miguel as kind of a failure was sort of alluded to a few different times that I felt like the movie left him on this trajectory of, no, it just also needed time to grow up and time to explore and, you know, set priorities and etc. So I say, Miguel. I love characters where, like, if we were in the room, we could pivot and theoretically follow a different story and it would still yeah, be interesting. Yeah, have it a different movie, a, a good one, but a different movie about this, yeah, this guy, this early 20s guy still at his parents' house with his selfish sister, like, figuring it out, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great choice. Uh mm-hmm. My choice was not Lady Bird as well, so also zagging a bit, but it is Julie, Beanie uh, Feldstein's character. I feel like there's a lot of self-discovery here. She got to go to the prom with her friend eventually when her friend, you know, apologized for her poor behavior, and they seemed like they had a lot of fun at that prom, which is great. I like that we didn't learn a lot about her personal life earlier in the film because it just mirrored... Ladybird's selfishness with yeah. uh, not asking these questions. So when we learn that her dad like reconnects with her and wants to chill with her in Yellowstone for the summer, hopefully it goes well. But yeah, you know, that that's a cool thing. She's staying local, but still going to college. Uh, seems to be happy with that choice too. So I don't know. I just feel like she uh, left the film in a pretty good position. And discovered uh, some talents she had along the way. So, uh, good for Julie. Good for Julie. Now, Wooderson Award. Is there a character in this film that you would have liked to have seen a little bit more of? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple to choose from. But I would say Darlene, because we know her from Map of Tiny Perfect Things, that it would be fun to see more of 
honestly the dynamic between the three of them because there was sort of some fun tension there and i know that feeling and i remember that feeling of like no i'm gonna stand here and protect my friend you know <laughs> um that sort of the righteousness that they sort of all showed at different times so i would love to see a little bit more of darlene and and their dynamic in, at at school i think that's a great choice my choice was a character you just mentioned which is a uh, miguel's partner shelly excellent point i thought she was super interesting they have uh she has some cool moments like with the with the clove cigarette and stuff and just the general conversation uh that she has but uh as you mentioned she also went to berkeley she uh talks about her family life being you know you know a little bit uh uneasy that's why she's uh currently living uh with the main family in in the movie and i I don't know she just seemed like an interesting actor and interesting character and again exact definition would have liked to seen a little bit more of her long duck dong award is there any character whose omission would make the film better i don't really have one for this i mean yeah i don't really have one for this um what what about you i was thinking that the danny character could have been played so much more poorly and it wasn't Mm. So I wouldn't take it away because I actually think it was redeemable. But we've seen movies where they play like, oh, and he was gay the whole time. And it's just like, it's really dismissive of it and really sure. like pumps up the stereotype. The fact that he came back in the fold and they seem to have a, a friendship after that really dismisses that for me. But like, I feel like in another movie, I would have deleted that character. Mm-hmm. But uh, good job, Greta, for... Absolutely. No, it's great. And then I think it also had that thing of like kid world versus grown up world. You know what I mean? So like Lady Bird could have like ratted him out or whatever, but like there was this solidarity among them, even though he had arguably lied and hurt her and whatever else. But like, I don't know. It just, yeah, it, that I, I think that storyline um, was, was very well done. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. AP exclusive extra credit assignment. If you could recommend a classic teen movie to any character in this film today, Lady Bird, uh, what film would it be and what character would you recommend the film to? I am oscillating between a couple, but um, I, I'm going to decide I'm going to go with, I would like to recommend for both Ladybird and Julie, maybe after prom together, to watch The Outsiders. Nice. One, I think they would enjoy it. It's a lot of attractive man candy, which these characters, you know, would enjoy as based on the information we have about them. But then also the film opens, like the the first conversation we hear is between Ladybird and her mom and Ladybird saying, I want to live through something, which can I tell you the chuckle I got when I heard that because this movie came out very close to, you know, pandemic, but then remembering it was 2002, I was like, okay, well, it's not that funny because it's still 20 years away. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I just think that is such a, a film like of a time and a place and an era that I think they would enjoy it and be able to see that, we are all like living through something just because it isn't labeled global pandemic or great depression or this or that. Like you're always getting through something. I don't know. That's my thought. Yeah, no, I like that one. That's pretty cool. I just said for uh, 
same two characters there, Lady Bird and Julie as well. Just classic teen movie, rebellious teen girl, but not that rebellious, but still whatever. It's 10 things I, <laughs> ten things I hate about you. Okay, great. Can't go wrong with it, you know. <laughs> it's an easy choice, but it is what it is. My backup would have been uh, Ghost World, which came out oh, like sure. a year before this movie takes place. So, But I figured they would have seen it, maybe. You know, who knows. <laughs> um, ooh, the hard part. The hard part. We have to give the film a grade. We have to give it a letter grade. High school slumber party style. A plus to F. Island, you get the manila card and the red pen first. But before that, our cheat sheet. Now, we mentioned that Rotten Tomatoes at one point, the critical score was 100%. It no longer is. It is now at 99%. So 1% of haters out there, one of the dentists of those Trident dentists, I suppose, uh, does not like this film. But whatever, 99% is still really, really good. Uh, 79% by the audience. High as well, but... Not a perfect score. Uh, 3.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Pretty good score. On Letterboxd. You <laughs> give a 4 for this movie, you pretentious. No, 3.9. <laughs> I, I love how I feel like everyone I, I talk to on this podcast, I've turned against Letterboxd just by reading the Letterboxd score. <laughs> I guess I say it in a little way, but whatever. So 3.9 out of Letterboxd out of 5. But Iceland, A plus to F scale. What will you grade, Ladybird? A strong A, absolutely. I think certainly the um, performances are gorgeous and very well directed. I think it's fantastically written. I love that it's written and directed by a woman. So yeah, I would say strong, strong A. What would you say? Yeah, I gave it an A as well. I was maybe teetering on A-, but I couldn't find any reason to give it that A-. I think it holds up. Yep. I think it's different today. I don't, again, think it's as unique, but that doesn't mean it's bad, obviously. Right. Yeah, I, just, I think it, it means it helped some other things get made so that there is some familiarity, you know? Yeah, it's important to, again, remember context with this film, and this is this is an iconic high school film. So always, always fun to be able to cover these uh, in general, but especially on AP with you, Iceland. So, yes. A's across the board. Straight A's from the That's two of right. us. If you and I are having a ladybird-themed slumber party, and we have our custom sleeping bags, Aslan, what does your custom ladybird sleeping bag look like? Okay. The outside is the um, pink and, and like gauze pattern of the cast that she has um, uh, yes. for the first chunk of the movie. Love it. And then the inside would probably be like the plaid of the school uniform. Great. Um, potentially with some sort of graffiti or things, you know, but I, I think, yeah, the hot pink on the outside and the um, classic plaid on the inside. Love that juxtaposition. What would yours be? My sleeping bag. I think I'm just going to do scenes of Sacramento. Ooh. Uh, like, but you know, those like uh, postcards. Like that, vintage postcard yeah, style? Vintage postcard style. Yeah, that's what I want. Love it. That's awesome. All right. My favorite question always to ask. Glad I'm in the asking position this week because I, I have my recommendations will be based off your recommendations because I don't want oh, okay. I don't want to overlap. So 
Okay, I'm interested. If the two of us were in the magical blockbuster that is every movie that has ever existed, we know we are renting Lady Bird for our Lady Bird slumber party. Uh, but we get to the front, we see a sign that says rent two movies, get one free. And then, you know what, we, we want to do it cool on AP, so we both have lists here. So we both go to the back of this blockbuster and pick two other movies that we would watch with Lady Bird on our slumber party. But Aislinn, you go first. What two other movies would you watch for our rental triple feature? Okay, so these are the first two that came to mind. And then I was like, no, you can't do that. It's too, too easy. But as I tried to come up with something else, I was like, no, this is truly what I, based on the watching I did of this yesterday, what I wanted to watch next was Brooklyn, which you mentioned already, because I think Saoirse Ronan's performance in that is gorgeous. And I have a pet peeve of, I think she did a great job with the Sacramento accent in this movie. But when I know someone has an accent and they're not using it in that role, it kind of bums me out. <laughs> Particularly with Ewan McGregor. Like, I'm always excited to see him. And then I'm like, wait, does this character have his accent or not? Um, so I would put Brooklyn and then Lady Bird and then Booksmart because I wanted more Beanie when I saw this, it's like, it's like this movie was a Sunday that had almonds on it. But then I was like, you know what? I just want a bowl of almonds. So I would do Brooklyn, Lady Bird, Booksmart. Nice. All nice. still contemporary, but all really high quality movies. Nice. Okay. So took two of mine on my master list. No, what do you mean your master list? I, Cause I wrote a bunch of films that I could put in trifectas here. Uh, <laughs> I see. My problem now is you took two from two unrelated lists, so now I gotta somehow relate these. Gotcha. Okay, okay. I'm gonna go with Greta Gerwig's follow-up film with a lot of the same actors as this film, and that, of course, is Little Women. Fantastic choice. Would we consider that a YA adaptation? I don't know. I never thought of Little Women as YA, but it certainly is an adaptation. Yeah, I don't know. I think on that. <laughs> Yeah, so Little Women in there, because it is Greta Gerwig's next solo project. And then I'm going to go with a film that we've covered here on High School Slumber Party. A different film, but also a first solo project by an artist who was in a different medium. And I really loved this movie when it came out. And that's uh, Eighth Grade, which was Bo Burnham's first solo directorial debut. And I don't know, I feel like fits in the same oeuvre there if you didn't pick book smart i would have probably picked eighth grade and book smart to me there's a natural line to be drawn between this film eighth grade and book smart Mm -hmm. there's a lot of similarities differences as well a lot of cool ones you, you could pick here again you could go with another greta gerwig film that she was an actor in like francis haas we discussed before um, you could go with mother-daughter films. I don't know why mm-hmm. I was thinking of the Joy Luck Club. That oh, yeah. comes in my head a lot for some reason. Um, watch it in school as a youngster and have never <laughs> been able to get that out of my head. So, uh, again, I think there's a lot of cool things um, you can pick with this. And I think we made some uh, g- uh, good choices here. Absolutely. You know, it was really awesome talking Ladybird with you, Island, And I can't wait uh, for the next film we talk about. Absolutely. I'll be here.
here. Thanks once again for listening to High School Slumber Party 8P. Thanks to Iceland as always, and thank you guys for bearing with me on the release of this episode. It took forever for a lot of reasons. Reasons I kind of discussed in the last episode, but specifically recently, my computer broke, and it's actually still broken. Thank you Certified Apple Technician for still having it and not letting me know what's wrong with it. However, scrapped some money together, bought a new computer, at least for now, it's running okay, and was able to cut this episode and release it, so I just want to, again, thank you for bearing with me, and remind you to follow us on social media, High School Slumber Party, everywhere, oh my Rodriguez for me on Twitter, Sassy Nerd MT for Island on Twitter, Island.Ruth for Island on Instagram, and yeah, subscribe, and oh, oh, yeah, this is still a show about homework, right? Because CP, I gotta sign you homework for Friday. So many movies in the back catalog that I still have to edit. One of them is still, unfortunately, in our two Corey series, but it's a fun episode. You're gonna love it. The film is called Blown Away. Then, it's the film hailed as a body heat for the 90s. Corey Haim of License to Drive and The Lost Boys stars with gorgeous Nicole Eggert, seen by millions on television's Baywatch in... Blown Away. Listen, there's this party tonight. Sweet 16? Does this look like the body of a 16-year-old? Rich Curran has met the girl of his dreams. Great sex is when you love someone so much, it's like you're addicted to the strongest drug in the world. But beyond the beauty... Do you know the Heimlich maneuver by any chance? Because if they keep doing that, one of them is definitely going to choke. Beyond the sex... I couldn't bear the thought of losing you. I love you. ...is a temptation he can't resist. Ever just wanted to kill somebody? I mean, really kill them. If they find that he was murdered, they could tie up the inheritance forever. Even if they don't catch us, do you understand that? Now, he's falling deeper and deeper into a world he can't escape. There's a bomb in his bike. I'll be over tomorrow. Where were you between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. the night that Dollar Hawks was murdered? Trust me, Rich, this will all work out just like you said it would. Do you really want to do some serious time for this girl? No, I'm going to stay in here and burn while you walk away with all the money, okay? Oh, you think I planned it this way? Corey Feldman, Nicole Eggert, Corey Haim. You know, Megan, I, I thought I met this girl. I thought we had something special. You don't know anything, do you? Blown away. 
Because of the sexual nature of this film, Blown Away will be available in an unrated and in an R-rated version. Each version of this title will feature its own unique artwork on the back of the box. A two Corys erotic thriller? Why not? Of course, Mike Manzi will be here, my Corey co-host, and the great Christian Larson will be here as well. We know he loves those erotic thrillers, so we brought him in. I don't even know when we recorded this a couple months back, but can't wait to cut this. I don't know what version we saw. Was it the R version? Was it the unrated version? This is a weird movie, but it's a pleasure to talk about that, and no pun intended there. So that's your homework. Watch 1992's Blown Away. A lot of other things called Blown Away, like that glass-blowing show and like some other weirdo movies, but 1992's Two Corys, Blown Away. That'll be your episode for Friday. One more thing. I have a new show with the aforementioned Mike Manzi. It is called Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. We talk the films Francis Ford Coppola. And that's been on delay as well because my computer broke. But now I'm ready to put out more episodes. And yeah, we're talking The Offer, which is not something directed by Coppola, but something about a Coppola film starring a man who looks like Coppola. It's awesome. It is so cool. So definitely check that show out wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, guys, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop looking around once in a while, you could miss it.